I don't know why I often begin my sermons with stories from my time at the Unitarian Universalist Church at Reston, so forgive me for doing it one more time. In Reston, we had a, a process for prospective members similar to what we do here in Loudoun, with one exception. A couple of times a year, we'd have a, um, uh, an orientation program for anyone interested in joining the church, as we do here. But there, the new pre program led directly to the following week, uh, a new member Sunday, at which the new folks would sign the membership book. Or they had the opportunity to sign the membership book if they so wished. And during my time as church president there, 27 months, but who's counting? Um, my favorite job I, you know, it was taking part in the orientations for prospective members, watching them grapple with the idea of what, it, what is this thing called Unitarian Universalism. And then on New Member Sunday, watching some of them sign the book and, and well, seeing the happy faces, welcoming them into, into the community. In one of those orientation programs, during the last session, uh, one week before New Member Sunday, one woman said, I understand what you people are against. I know what you're not. But I don't know what you are, what you do believe. I need a reason to bring my children here. I don't remember how we answered, uh, but the, obvious, the answer obviously wasn't good enough because she didn't sign the book that Sunday. <laughs> But some months later, at the next New Member Sunday, there she was signing the book. And so, you know, when I, when I welcomed her, I gave her a hug, and I said, so you figured us out. And she said, yeah. She said, you know, it, it happened when I went back to my Episcopalian church. There, they decide what I should believe. They make it easy. Here, I have to do that work for, my, for myself. It's harder, but it's worth it. That has stuck with me for more than 15 years, a great way to understand our faith. Most of you know that on June 1st, three months ago, my wife, wife Carol and I suffered the loss that's often called the worst of all, the loss of our 29-year-old son, Thomas, in an accident. In my grief, I've spent the summer thinking about, talking about, reading about, joining discussion groups about the role of religion in our lives. Among other things, I've spent a lot of my free time reading, listening to, and watching Unitarian Universalist sermons and hoping to find ways to contribute to the health and growth of our faith. There's nothing like uh, a traumatic loss to uh, remind you of why you have a religion and that uh, it might be good to help others into it. I want to help others find the solace that good religious communities can offer. One of our problems is that it is so hard to explain Unitarian Universalism to others. We often start by telling people what we don't have, a creed, a rigid, a rigid mindset. 
The Reverend Aaron White, in a recent sermon in Dallas, used the analogy of a restaurant. He said we're like the, the waiter in an Italian restaurant who greets the new customer with, we don't serve Greek food here, we're Chinese or Mexican. So it, it's gotten me working up my own brief elevator speech, the, you know, that, that short description that everybody wants to have, in a, in a more positive light. And with thanks to that woman in Reston, I've come up with one I really like. In Unitarian Universalism, it is every individual's right, or maybe responsibility, to do the hard work of determining what belief system calls them. We join in, a, in community to support each other on that never-ending quest. Now, I know that social action is missing. Some of you will, will uh, object that social action is missing from my description, but that grows out of our beliefs. And look, you know, many religions offer social action. Many non-religions offer social actions. There are many places you can go to be more active. But I don't know a, a single other organization, religious or otherwise, like the one I just described. In Unitarian Universalism, it is every individual's right or maybe responsibility to do the hard work of determining what belief system calls them. We join in community to support each other on that never-ending quest. In his sermon, the Reverend White talks about his good luck the first time he walked into a UU church. He was a college student at the time, and here's the three-part message that he needed that day and he received. You're loved unconditionally, you've got a lot of work to do, and we'll help. You're loved unconditionally, you've got a lot of work to do, and we'll help. I found his sermon the best 20-minute description of Unitarian Universalism that I've ever heard. And it's just a week or two old. I'll put a link to his video on the UUCL discussion list and Facebook page. Or, you know, you can just send me an email and I'll send you a link to it. It's a, it's a beautiful job he does. So that, that brings me to the heart of this sermon, my loose-leaf Bible. I heard the Reverend Bruce Southworth of Community Church of New York uh, talk about his in July 2014. Uh, at UMAC, the Unitarian Universalist Mid-Atlantic community that Carol and I have been going to and Carl has been going to for a very long time. Um, so, so I say it was July 2014. After all, if we UUs are required to do the heavy lifting of building a belief system, why shouldn't we each have our own Bible? And why shouldn't it be in something like loose leaf format so that we can revise it as we make adjustments throughout our, our spiritual lives. Because Unitarian Universalism also calls on us to be open, to be open to change, always open. Reverend Southworth has his, his organized into sections like creation stories, fables, psalms, proverbs, and so on. Now, as anyone who has ever seen my desk can tell you, I'm not good at organizing paper. 
I much prefer pixels. So mine is not really a loose-leaf Bible. I call it that, but it's not really a loose-leaf Bible. It's an Evernote Bible. If you're not familiar with Evernote, it's a cloud-based system like Microsoft's OneNote for organizing and saving uh, pictures, videos, songs, just about any kind of electronic file. For more than a year, I've been collecting things that resonate with me and with Carol, quotations, stories, videos, poems, songs, meditations that satisfy something in our hearts and souls. It has become an important spiritual practice for me. And I, I suggest it to the rest of you. It is a wonderful spiritual practice to always be on the lookout for what you want in your Bible. My Evernote Bible is organized into creation stories, fables, prayers, precepts, proverbs, psalms, quotations, and sermons slash sutras. Sutras are sermons from the Buddha or around the Buddha. Of course, Psalms is one of the, the easiest categories to fill. I have 14 items so far in mine, poems and songs. I've asked Christopher Darcy and Gina Faber to perform one of the songs for you. It reflects the teaching I've heard so many times from Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh that the miracle is not walking on water. It's that we're here and walk on the earth. The song is called Holy Now, or Now by Peter Mayer. When I was a boy each week, on Sunday we would go to church. Pay attention to the priest And he would read the holy word And consecrate the holy breath And everyone would kneel and bow Today the only difference is Everything is holy now Everything, everything, everything is holy now When I was in Sunday school, we would learn about the time Moses split the sea in two, Jesus made the water wine. And I remember feeling sad that miracles don't happen still, but now I can't keep track, cause everything's a miracle. Everything, everything, everything's a miracle. Wine from water is not so small. One even better magic trick is anything here at all. So the challenging thing becomes. Not to look for miracles, but finding out there isn't one. When holy water's rare at best, and barely wet my fingertips, but now I have to hold my breath, 
Well, I can swim in a sea of air. It used to be a world half there. Heaven second rate hand me down. But I walk it with a reverend air. Cause everything is over now. Questioning child's face And say it's not a testament and Be very hard to say See another new morning come And say it's not a sacrament I'll tell you that it can't be done This morning outside I stood and saw a little red-winged bird shining like a burning bush, singing like a scripture verse. Made me want to bow my head. I remember when church lay down. Now things have changed since then. Everything is whole now. Used to be a world half there, and heaven's ray banned me down. But I walk it with a reverent smile, cause everything is whole now. This morning outside I stood and saw a little red-winged bird shining like a burning bush, singing like a scripture verse. If you can live in each moment, if you can connect with that, then everything is indeed holy now. It hasn't been hard for me to find content for most of the books of my Bible. And in our summer services this year, you heard some of the, some of the others share about one chapter or another that might be in, in their Bible. I did want a section on prayer in mine, a word that makes some of you use uncomfortable. Here's the Dalai Lama's morning prayer. Today, I am fortunate to have awakened. I am alive. I have a precious human life. I am not going to waste it. I am going to use all of my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart out to others, to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. I am going to have kind thoughts toward others. I am not going to get angry or think badly about others. 
I am going to benefit others as much as I can. Jeff Erickson did a great good job of exploring Proverbs, but I can't help adding one from my collection. Mine is probably the only book of Proverbs that includes one from Mae West. <laughs> you only live once, but if you do it right, once is enough. <laughs> and, because I just can't resist, here's one from Bishop Carlton Pearson. Life is a sexually transmitted dis-ease. It's uncurable, but not untreatable. Life is a sexually transmitted dis-ease. It's not uncurable. I mean, it's uncurable, but not untreatable. In case you're wondering what a bishop is doing in my loose-leaf Bible, he's a great model of the never-ending journey toward religious wholeness. This Pentecostal bishop had a revelation one day that a loving God would never condemn, or condemn anyone to hell for not going to the right church, temple, or mosque. He now preaches in a UU church in Tulsa. He may be the world's first universalist Pentecostalist. <laughs> Creation stories were harder for me. I, I have absolutely zero interest in how the world was created or how it will end. And I'm totally comfortable with the Buddhist tradition that was always here and always will be. It's not worth thinking about. But I did find a couple of things for my book of creation stories. My favorite so far is it's not exactly a creation story, but it's a story about original sin. It comes from the Reverend David Bombow. Someone else we met at UMAC once. The fall from grace, the great disruption of primordial order, the original sin, had nothing to do with eating apples or talking to snakes. The instrument of our fall was a wooden back scratcher. <laughs> now demonstrate on yourself. Yeah. I asked them to demonstrate. Yeah, because we're, yeah, um, see, my, 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 my uh, no, don't do it to me. That's all, shh, your, your own back. Of course, I'm getting there. I'm getting, you'll understand. A wooden back scratcher, that piece of wood bent at the end so one can reach the unreachable spot. There, there, between the shoulder blades, down a little bit lower, and now up a little bit. There where the, there where the most persistent itch always takes up residence. Before the back scratcher, before that simple infernal device, we, like all our primate kin, depended on others to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Before the back scratcher, before that simple informal tool, we needed each other to scratch the unreachable itch. The wooden back scratcher dissolved the bonds of reciprocity, unloosed the ties of community, and tempted us to believe in our own godlike self-sufficiency. And God walked in the cool of the garden and saw a primate standing alone. What have you done, God asked, that you stand alone? I have found a back scratcher, said the beast, and now I need no one. Poor beast, 
said God. Now you must leave this garden in Eden. No one stands alone. Each depends on others. And thus began our wandering, our pacing up and down the earth, scratching our own itches, pretending self-sufficiency, trying to ignore the persistent sense of loss, the vague yearning for primordial order, a world where you scratched my back and I scratched yours. A wooden back scratcher is a poor, is poor compensation for the gentle touch of a loving hand. In this holy community, may we scratch each other's backs. May we help each other along our spiritual paths. May we help each other find words of wisdom. May we help each other find solace. May we help each other find joy. May we help each other find grace. May we help each other do the dance of life.